I'm excited to preach Jesus today, to preach, you know, and to continue in the series. You know, when I got a chance to come and, um, you know, to hear and just be able to, to learn about even the series and heard that you guys were doing Christmas playlists. And so I just started going to my roller decks of Christmas songs, you know, and just thinking about, like, how are you guys introducing the different things? So I went to my playlist, and the first thing that came to me um, was this song. Let me see if you, you know it. Yes, yes. It's like, you know, I had to bring in a little Motown, a little bit of something, you know. It's not as much about Jesus, but it is about Christmas, and it sets the mood. It sets the mood. But I, I, I'm genuinely, genuinely excited. And today, really, I want to talk to you, you know, about that. I want to talk to you about Jesus. And I want to give you um, one less known, you know, perspective when it comes to this idea of, of Christmas season. What I love about, you know, the, even the series that you guys have is, you know, it's just kind of like the playlist. When you think about playlists and there's that new kind of like with Apple now, you can go and they show you like your playlist for the, for the year, the year playlist. Have you guys seen that? Like that new, that new part of app and you go to see, and you get a chance to reflect on the playlist and what you would, you've been listening to this past year. And, you know, and when you look at your playlist and when you share your playlist with other people, and that's what people are doing, they're sharing their playlists, and you can go on TikTok and Instagram and see what other people's playlists and what's kind of what they're listening to. You know, it, it brings kind of a point of reflection to you to kind of to think about, like, both the time and the year, because this is a season, right, that you begin to reflect. It's at the end, you know, right after Thanksgiving, moving into the Christmas season, going into the new year, this idea of new beginnings, New times and you like a chance to 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 dream new dreams, to pray new prayers. And it's a time where we get a chance to to reflect on the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, where it all began, right? In this time where we get a chance to be reminded. And so if you have your Bibles, open up with me to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, and we're gonna get a chance to see this idea, this this joy, the struggle that we have in Christmas. Because when we think about Christmas, we think about times of joy. We think about times of refreshment. We think about times of um, renewed with Christ becoming our king. You know, when you think about Christmas, we think about this concept that Christmas is a time where it reminds us about the good news, that God became a man. The good news that brings great joy to all different types and all different walks of people, that this is good news for us that we have. And so we want to read Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 18 through 25. But before we do, let's go before the Lord in prayer one more again. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to come before you. Father, thank you for the grace that you've given us. Thank you, Father, for even the time of prayer. You've already um, have entered into this building, Lord. You have already opened up our hearts. So we pray now, Father, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you because you truly are our rock and our redeemer. So accept our hallelujah right now to you. And so, Father, thank you 
If there's anything that's keeping us from being present right now with you, we pray that you would remove it. Allow us to receive from you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. In Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25, it starts off with the birth of Jesus. And it says this, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant with the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what, has been, what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her and did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. He named him Jesus. When we're talking about, when we talk about the playlist, when we're talking about this series, we're talking about talking about the advent of Christ, the coming of our Savior, the coming of our Lord. This is where God breaks 400 years of silence. He comes in and he enters in all the way from the time of Malachi where he says, I'm done. I'm through with you. The next voice you will hear. And he breaks this and he enters in. He becomes with Jesus, God being with us. But in here, really what I want to talk to you is about three things. I want to look at it from Joseph's vantage point. I want to look at it from, if we, if we were, and if Joseph were to have a playlist at the time, what would his playlist be? What would, his, what would be his perspective as we look into this Christmas season, and hopefully it can help us with some of our struggles or some of the struggles of our friends and our neighbors and our personal struggles as we even wrestle with Christmas, as we get a chance to reflect on the impact of our coming King, of our Savior, and of our, of our Lord. You see, there are many different opinions about Jesus. However, there is no greater authority on the life of Jesus than the Word of God. And our hope in this series is that we would be able to get the chance to celebrate this Advent series, that we would get a chance to look at God's word from the variety of different perspectives. And so here we are, Joseph's perspective. And it starts off in 118 with Joseph's perspective saying, the birth of Jesus Christ came this way. The birth of Jesus Christ came this way. You see, one of the things that we got to recognize is that I, I really believe that everyone needs a good Christmas playlist, right? I mean, we all have, we all have kind of the Christmas season. I even recognize that some people start listening to their play, like their Christmas and decorate even before Thanksgiving is on. They kind of disrespect Thanksgiving to bring in Christmas. And, you know, and you start off 
kind of with this, this idea of kind of the Christmas season and, you know, all the, the, the stories come out, all the, the different things. And I don't know if some of you guys are, you know, I don't know if some of you guys will admit, but like who watches a lot of more Hallmark, you know, you, y'all, you like, look at, like, there's a lot more, but you know, everybody's not, but there's nothing like a good Hallmark, you know, throughout the Christmas season that you just, you start watching more and more and you know how all of them are going to end, but you just stay drawn and you stay connected in every time. But one of the things that you recognize is that every, every good story has some good part, components to it. And there's five good components to every good story, right? Five good components. And so I wanted to just kind of just set the frame because it's no different than this. Every good story has these five parts. Number one, the first is there's a summary. There's the origin. So they give kind of a background of what's going on to, to give you context of what's going, what's happening. But as soon as that story happens, there's, they, there introduces a problem or there's a conflict that comes in, right, into the story. There's, there, there, there's that story in the conflict. It's sort of like something's wrong. So a problem needs to be solved. And then that conflict in the third part of the story, it goes from just a small conflict to rising tension. There's a greater tension to the end. It's like, you know, I don't know if you, you know, I mean, whether it's, you know, I don't, it's, um, what's the, what's the, the movie with, um, I don't know if it's a Christmas story, when it's, uh, not Jack Bauer, you guys know Jack Bauer, and the, but the, the, when he's locked into the, ah, forget it. <laughs> I had it in my mind. But it, it was the story, it's the Christmas story, it's, it's sort of a Christmas story. Every year at the end, like these terrorists are taking over a building. Die Hard, I'm just like, I knew it. But you know that Die Hard story? Is that considered a Christmas story, Bruce Willis? Is that considered Christmas? All right, all right so the, the Die Hard story, right? It's like there's always a building, right, at the end, and somehow he gets stuck in the same building, right? Or like, and then all, like, that the terrorists, that if he doesn't save, this when the whole world is gonna die, right? And like and that's and so you see, and there's this rising tension that always gets to the kind of this climax, but then there's a resolution, right? And after the resolution, then we kind of we live happily ever after. Right? So every good story has these five components. And see, the Christmas stories that we see are no different than these same stories that we see, that these stories that we have. So right here, when we start off, it talks about the birth of Jesus that came about in this way, right? And so the Gospel of Matthew starts actually with two origin stories. It starts with two origin stories. The first one is right here, or I mean, the second one is right here when we see in verse 18, but the first one actually starts in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And then it goes through verse 17, and it says, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so right here, the gospel of Matthew starts with the lineage of Christ. And he goes in these first 17 verses, he writes and shows us the 28 different generations that we had before Joseph, highlighting that the story began long before Joseph, that the story doesn't start with Joseph, but the story right here, it ends with Joseph. What's interesting about the book of Matthew is that his genealogy starts at, at, at the beginning, but then it goes all the way and it ends with Joseph. 
So basically what we see is setting the stage that there's 28 genealogies or generations that come and we land at Joseph. And it talks about Joseph being there. You see, what I really believe right here is that at the very beginning that this story, that this Christmas story or the introduction of this Christmas story begins, it's all about Matthew or it's all about Joseph, but it's not about Joseph at all. Right here, it ends in verse 17 with Joseph, but then in the very second, in verse 18, he says, let me remind you, this is an account of the genealogy of Christ, the son of God, the son of Abram, right? And in verse 18, it says, the birth of Jesus came about in this way. Matthew wants us to be clear that even though Joseph, all the genealogy leans and points us to Joseph, this is a story all about him, but it's a story not about him at all. And this is that a lot about life, that God has fearfully and wonderfully made us. And most of these stories and most of our life is all about us, but we also recognize that it's not about us at all. You know, it's sort of like living, you know, I think every human being needs to live in a small town, but it also needs to live, like fly on the airplane. You see, on one end, what we see is that when you live in a small town, you recognize that you don't live your life in a vacuum. You know, and it's like one of those things that everybody knows your business. Everybody knows your story. Everybody knows. And it seems like people, like everything that you do, you live kind of under this microscope, right? And it's just kind of like you recognize that you are seen in a lot of ways. But then on the flip side, everyone needs to fly on an airplane. And I don't know if you, like when I was coming in and flying into Vegas, you know, you look out the window and as you are beginning to descend, you look out the window and you kind of look and it's like, like big old Vegas. It looks like a, like a Monopoly board, <laughs> right? And you got little Tonker toys and Tonker trucks kind of going like, and you know, once you get on ground level, like these things are massive things. But when you're up there, you see, and you look so small, and you begin to think about, man, woe is me, I'm so small. And on one end, it's just like everything is surrounded by me, but on the other end, it's kind of like this humility. And, and what we see here in the tension of, in, in, as kicking off in just the very essence of Joseph's story is that you see where it's all about you, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made, but in the flip side, it's not about you at all the grandiose about what's going on. And we see right here that Matthew says this. Matthew is explaining that God's story is God's story, but it's, we're going to see it through Joseph's vantage point, Joseph's story. You see, this is important because perception is reality, and perception is important. And one of the things that we, are, we, we see in this story and when we're looking at Joseph's playlist is Joseph's vantage point. We're looking at his perspective as he's entering in to this story. You see, Joseph's vantage point in his playlist reminds us that it's all about him, but it's not about him at all. And we recognize this very essence of it. How, how many of you guys have seen the movie Vantage Point? Anybody have seen the movie? It's a 2008 movie. I think it's one of the best concepts of a movie, and I'm very surprised that more people haven't done that, haven't did that. And again, you know, I tried to get my kids to watch it because you know I talk all the time about Vantage Point. I talk to the staff, and they and I, I turned it on, and it was like I'm not watching this, right? But what this to give you a little background on in the movie Vantage Point is about it's in 2008. It was released in 2008, and it's an attempted assassinated on an American president. 
And what this movie is about is that this is a story, this assassination is a story that's told and retold multiple times. And it's actually taught, told through eight different strangers' perspective. And even one of the taglines is, is eight different strangers through eight different points of view with one truth. And what it is is that each time they go through, one of the things is like one person sees it and they take about 13 minutes that is supposed to span about 90 minutes of time and they just show you this is the way the president assassination looked from this person's vantage point. But then they'll, they'll stop after about 13 minutes of the, you know, and then they will take it another person's view. And then what you thought was what took place in that first person's vantage point, the next person's like, oh, it's different. And then eight different times. But by the time that you reach to the eighth person, you're just like, man, it was totally different than what I thought it was. And I think this is the very essence of what we see because this is when we see and when we're studying the scriptures, we recognize that this vantage point is the same thing that we see with the Gospels, is that we see the variety of different perspectives that are coming in to highlight the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And right here, what we see is that this, this good news of the advent of Christ comes in as great joy for all people, but it didn't start off that way. It didn't start off that way for Joseph. You know, I know oftentimes that's not the thing that we want to talk about, but when there's, you know, I love the, the reality and the realness of the scripture. Joseph had a different vantage point. He had a different perspective. That even though that this was a time that was supposed to be celebrated and things that Joseph came in and came and he had struggles. But his struggles was important for us to recognize. You see, Joseph's, but in this struggle, what we recognize is that Joseph's perception protects us from what I call the winner circles mentality. Right? You know what the winner circle mentality is that every Bible verse and every story is all about, like, and we put ourselves in the winner's circle. We put ourselves, you know, it's the stories like David and Goliath, that David went in and he, you know, and he went in and he threw the, the stones and conquered Goliath. You know, and what do we say? Well, we're, we're David in that story. And so we need to conquer our Goliath, our giants in our lives. But in reality, we're not David in that story. We're the afraid soldiers that was afraid to go talk to Goliath. And we were crying out for our king to come and to fight our battles for us. Right? And so what we see right here is the idea that even though God has this way of saying, this is all, your life is all about you, but it's not about you at all. And so it starts off with this. And, and what's happening here, the conflict that comes is that Joseph's protection of his perception of God will ultimately keep him from accomplishing God's will or could keep him from accomplishing God's will. Let's pick it up. Verse 19, Joseph's protection. It says this, so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. All right, so in verse 18, at the end of verse 18, we see this idea that you know, the mother of Mary, she was engaged to Joseph. Joseph discovered that she became pregnant and they were, you know, but this pregnant, she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So here's Joseph. He says he's a righteous man. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly, 
but he decides to divorce her secretly. Verse 20 says this, but after he had considered these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what, he had, what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you ought to name him Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered why Joseph didn't get the same information in the same way that Mary got it? You know, just think about it. Joseph wasn't told. Mary was told. He's like, hey, listen, I'm going to prepare you. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to come upon you. You're going to be pregnant with, ba- you know, with a baby, and he's going to name Jesus, and all these things. And it's just like, whoa, that's big. But, and you know, but Mary had, and we don't know how long. Did Mary wrestle with it for days or months or how long she was able to wrestle with this thing and then go. But then all of a sudden, they're engaged now, and then Mary comes in and says, hey, I'm pregnant. I'm not just, well, who, what, what? But I'm not just pregnant. I'm, because I didn't cheat on you. I didn't, I'm God, like the Holy, like, how do you tell that news? <laughs> like, God told me that the baby, yeah, and I don't know, but I'm pregnant. <laughs> and we're supposed to name him Jesus. And so here it is, Joseph is just like, and and the Bible says that Joseph is a righteous man. He's not someone who's trying to do the wrong thing. It declares he's trying to do the right thing based upon what knowledge he has. He's going to do the best to protect the integrity of Mary and God's will. But at the same time, Joseph doesn't want to be a part of the scandal that's taking place (laughs) because that's what this is. Just think about going to everybody's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, me and Mary about to get, you know, married. Yeah, but yeah, she's pregnant. But no, 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 she didn't cheat on me. You know, God gave her a baby. And <laughs> just think about that. Think about how crazy that is. And so Joseph was like, all right, I don't want to stand in God's will, but this is a lot. This is a lot for me. And so here he is, and he's coming, and he's just like, He's thinking like, all right, what do I need to do? And so his thought was, I'm just going to secretly divorce her. I'm just going to call this thing off. And I'm going you know, to go out and say, hey, it's me. It's not her. There, I'm going to just do the right thing so that she can maintain her integrity. The will of God can continue to go. But I'm just going to slide to the left. Right? And so... And everything that we see in the scriptures is like, man, like he's not doing out of any malice or ill intent. He's just trying to do. You know, what's interesting is that I I always wrestle with like, why didn't God tell Joseph in the same way he told Mary? You may not have thought of it that way or asked that question, but you do ask this. You may have thought this question is you wonder why God doesn't speak to you like he seems like he speaks to everybody else. You're just like, God, like, it seems like, like in your quiet time, in your prayer life, I wish I had the prayer life that Pastor Vance has. He just seems like he's talking with God. I just wish Pastor Hyden, just like, man, he just seems like he just like walks with God. But it doesn't seem like when I do that same thing and I try to go do that same thing at home, it don't feel like my prayers reach the ceiling. 
It just seems like God doesn't speak to me in the same way he speaks to everybody else. Why did not God tell Joseph in the same way that he told Mary? Why are you so clear? Because you're like, God, if you tell me, I'll do it. I, I, I surrender. Anything. I just need to know clearly. I just want to know. And it seems like you're clear with everybody else. But with me, it's fuzzy. Right? The angel visited her, declared the message to her, prepared her. She had time to process the information, think through it, discuss it a few times, walk it through with Joseph. Like all of these things, Joseph didn't get any warning. She was already pregnant, already engaged, right? And, and, and it's by the Spirit of God, right? And so you have this. And Joseph didn't want any of that smoke. He was like, I'm done. And then after the matter, after the fact, here we have Joseph. He comes in, and here the angel comes in. He says, don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. Take responsibility of the Son of God. Name him Jesus which means Yeshua saves because God is up to something. This is a story all about Joseph, but it's not about Joseph at all. You see, right here, we recognize that here's this tension that's brewing in this story that's going on, and that he's just like, Joseph is probably just saying, like, I just want like rest and like, like not be a part. And, but it's like, no, there's always that but God. Moment, and we all have that. But God, like I, I, I planned. You know, my dad played pro football, and you know, I went to college, and I was playing football, and I was looking to go play in the league, and, and you know, and I was like, I had my plan for God. Like I'm gonna go to the league, and then I'll just keep on working. I'll work with FCA, and I'll just kind of do my thing, so I can still be like, you know, go to the league, but still do kind of my God thing. But I had that but God moment, and God was like, No, 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 no. I have a different plan for you. And I still remember the day, for me, it was just kind of like going back and telling all of my family. And it was just, I think that was one of the single-handed greatest things that God used to bring my family back, or bring my family to Jesus. You see, you got to understand, football was my God. Everything was about that. And it was all about it. And even though I was already declared righteous by God, I was already saved and born again, I had my way that I thought that I had, but then God came in and had his but God moment. He says, I have something different for you. And I was just like, but Lord, I want to be about you, but you know, kind of like, you know. <laughs> like, can we co-do this thing? And, and I believe this is kind of where Joseph is at. And so the question becomes, is Joseph protection of his, of his will as God begins to encounter his will. And so we have this tension now, the rising tension. What is Joseph going to do? What's going to happen, right? And what I love about it is that Joseph's protection encourages us to accept the impact of God's salvation. Because as God comes in and gives us this but God moment, you know what happens? He says, you're going to name him Jesus. 
And you know what Jesus means. It's like, you're going to name him Yeshua saves. God saves. We don't oftentimes talk about how salvation sometimes can seem inconvenient. At least the way that salvation comes, that it's not always, sometimes it's inconvenient. It's inconveniencing Joseph right now. Man, sometimes, man, I, I wish we can, you know, the reason why oftentimes we take the Christ out of Christmas, because it's a reflection of how many of us we live throughout the year. Like we're content with Xmas. And that's for the perspective. And so what we see right here is God is like, no, I'm breaking in. I'm taking over. This is all about me. This is about my story. And so he comes and he says that I'm going to do it in a way that you can't. And, and, and when you come, you're going to say and you're going to proclaim that Jesus saves. And this is what I love about what Jesus does. He's like, listen, you can't place me in any other category. And with all the, the scholars and the apologists have said, like, the reality is, is that you either have to make me Lord, you got to make me a liar, or you got to say I'm a lunatic. But the reality is, is that there's only three perspectives, not only me, but the way people are going to say, think about the message. We're going out to our people and proclaiming that God impregnated a woman by not, by not natural, and then live the perfect life, never ever once ever having to say I'm sorry, never doing anything wrong, was crucified, he was buried. He said, in that, let me say, he says, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life that no man can come to the Father except through me. They killed him because of it. He then was raised, God raised him from the dead, that he's no longer in the tomb, and now he's still alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father. That message is scandalous to the world. That doesn't make any sense. That message puts you in one or three categories. Either he really is Lord, he's a liar, and he knew he wasn't Lord, and he lied about it, or he's crazy. He's a lunatic. If I came to you and said, hey, walk church, I'm God. You would put me in the crazy category, <laughs> right? Because there's no other. So Jesus, and what the Christmas season reminds us, and what this is reminding us, is that Jesus saves. You can't put him in any other category. You can't say he's just a good man or a good prophet, a good teacher. He can't be put anywhere else. He's either Lord, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. There's no other place. There's no other basis to place him. And this is why he says, listen, not only are you going to marry him, marry her, you're going to name him. And what are you going to name him? Jesus. That God saves. And that's the only way to come to this. It's through him. You know, I remember, you know, my first couple of months of marriage and, and with my wife. And in that time, just in that first few months of marriage counseling, we were coming from our different vantage points, our different perspectives 
you know, and I remember going in and said, she's doing this and that and this and that. And she's like, he's doing this and that. And I remember in the middle of that, you know, and we were just kind of talking and things and like the counselor just kind of hearing us. He just put his pen down. Like he said, all right, all right, all right. He said, what you guys need, you just need to be around some other couples because you got such a small myopic view of what this is about. And I think oftentimes is that we come and we approach Christ and we approach all that he has for us with just a small myopic view. Just only looking at our vantage point. And what we're doing is very similar that Joseph, if God didn't visit Joseph, that we would only see our thing and we would, in right, with righteousness sake, end up impeding God's will. Impeding God's will. And this is what we do all the time. You see, what we do is that we try to passively allow or try to get over or, um, you know, to, to allow something, God's will to take place. But can it take place in a different way? You know, it's sort of like when we try to kind of create those cringe moments. It's, cringe moments are the things that it's like, it's okay when it's like all believers around that we do it. But as soon as we bring our non-believing friends around us, we're like, ooh. I didn't know we did that. That's weird. I wonder how they feel about that. Right? And it becomes kind of like, I wonder how they're accepting. I wonder, I wonder. And you start wondering. And this is what's happening is like sometimes, like when God's will or God's presence comes into our lives, right? The impact of us being saved comes into our lives. We no longer can cheat on that test like all the other friends. We no longer allow us to do the things that we used to do to get over, to make ends meet at our job. We no longer, like, it become an inconvenience. And this is the reason why Jesus tells us you can't serve two masters. Either you're going to love one, and then it says you're going to despise the other. You know what that word despise means? To think little of. You're going to love one, and you're going to think little of the other. And see, that's the tension that we wrestle with, is that either we fall and we cultivate our heart to pursue God above all else, and we just fall in love with him and we think little of all the other things, or we end up cultivating and falling in love with all the other things, and what we do, we crowd out, and we start thinking little of Jesus and his ways. It becomes an inconvenience to us. It's all about what are we cultivating within our hearts. And Christmas season, again, in this for Joseph, this Christmas was a reminder that God is, that we, it is our responsibility to make room for thy will to be done. Thy will be done. But if we aren't willing to wrestle, right, what we will end up doing is that we would allow God's will to cry out. I mean, crowd out. Our, I'm sorry. Our will to crowd out God's will. Right? You know what real passivity is? And this is what I feel like as believers, so many of us, we struggle with being passive. You know what passivity is? Passivity is when a love for self crowds out the ability to love others. Oftentimes, we will create, thank you, sir, we will talk about passive, and it can be cloaked as righteous. But oftentimes, we don't confront our neighbor. We don't talk about Jesus. We don't do with all of the stats we talk about. The reason why is not because of anything else besides I love myself. 
And I don't want others to think bad of me. So if I can just be a really good person and not have to talk about Jesus and his salvation, because everybody can accept prophet Jesus because everybody wants to love their neighbor. Everybody don't want to do bad things. They can under, I can accept prophet Jesus, but I'm not going to talk about all of his prophecies. I'm not going to talk about all of his stuff. Right? And so what passivity oftentimes was just cloaked as righteousness in the same way, I just want to deal with this. And it's when a love for self crowds out the ability to love others. A love for self crowds out the ability to really walk with Jesus. You see, what we have to do and what this passage is telling us is, is that simply that God is calling you and I in Christmas season, this Christmas, to be reminded to make room. To make room. Why do we make room? Is because the Bible is telling us to pursue. And this is where I love it. It doesn't end. It ends with this. Finally, it says, Joseph's pursuit. In verse 22, after he has this dream, after he has this encounter with God, it says in verse 22, it says, Now all this took place to fulfill what has been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. You see, we already named him Jesus, but what we're saying is not only is he Jesus, God who saves, he is a present God with us. And it's the very aura of who he is, is that, is that when we walk with him, when we talk with him, when we proclaim him, it's as if we recognize and we know and we acknowledge is that God is with us. And so the question becomes for you and I, are we willing to overcome the uncomfortable parts of God's presence, what God's presence brings this Christmas season? Are we able, are we willing to overcome the uncomfortable parts that God's presence brings in our lives? Are we willing to embrace those cringe moments for something that's greater. And what I love about it is that Joseph was like, here I am, Lord. Send me. It says, Joseph woke up. Joseph did what the, the Lord's angel commanded him. What I love in there, you recognize there was no more pondering. There was no more dreams that needed to happen. There was no more. He, just, he woke up. He's like, God, I hear you. I'm there. I'm going. And he embraced it all. He married Mary. He named Jesus, right? And marrying Mary and naming Jesus, those were all declarations that I'm going to take full responsibility. I'm going to step in. This wasn't the way I would have wrote it. This wasn't the way I would have done it. But God, this is not about me. It's about you. And I'm going to step in. And there's a word that you need to have. Joseph lived with passion. Passion. You know what passion is? Passion is a willingness to endure the pain for something that's greater than the pain. Passion is a willingness to endure the pain for something that's greater than the pain. What I love about the honesty of this text is that we're not, they didn't act like there was no pain in Joseph's life. Sometimes we think that being godly is not acknowledging pain or the absence of pain. 
When we hear about the passion of the Christ, it's not about him saying that there's no pain in what's taking place, but he says there's something greater than the pain. There's something greater than the pain. And so that's what he did, right? Jesus was inconvenience for us. He came from heaven to earth to show the way, right? The word became flesh. He didn't scream from the heavens. He inconvenienced himself. Why? Passion. He was willing to endure the pain for something that's greater than the pain. In Matthew chapter 16, he says, listen, you guys, here's the plan. I just revealed that I'm the son of God. That upon this fact, upon this rock, I will build my church. Here's the plan. I'm going back to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. What did Peter say? Jesus, that's not a good idea. What did he say? Jesus responded, get behind me. You're thinking like the world. I must, and that word must is a passion word. I must go back to Jerusalem. Must. Right? We live, and then he ends it with this. He says, the call to his disciples, and he says this, you also must take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. So my prayer for us as we walk this thing out, as we develop our Christmas playlist, that we will put Jesus on blast. We will put him on blast and that we will be reminded, reminded of and embrace a life of passion when it comes to putting the Christ back in Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the grace that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for taking this not so common, but perspective of sometimes how we can struggle with your presence. Father, ultimately, we want your will to be done. Help us, Lord. Father, what we're saying is that we believe. Help our unbelief. Help our doubt. Help our passivity. Help us to be the men and the women that you have called us to be. Father, because it's only by your mercy and it's by your grace and by your faith and your love. Father, we need your presence. We desire your presence, no matter how convenient it is. We want to be known as people who are been with Jesus. So help us, Father, to turn you up in our lives. Lord, if there's anybody here Lord, that is struggling with that, I pray. God, that you would help them to make room for you. And Father, we'll do our best to give you the praise, the honor, and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.